0: On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we usher in week six of the NFL season with the Seahawks wide receiver Tyler Lockett, who has more touchdowns since 2018 than Julio Jones, Michael Thomas and Keenan Allen. And Lockett will take you to a place that is not what you expect in one of the shortest, deepest conversations I've ever had with a professional athlete. Then. ESPN analyst Rex Ryan will talk about what it's like for a head coach to lose his job, Rex having done that twice himself, first with the Jets, then with the Buffalo Bills. And then the ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan, will provide some interesting insight into some of the key Week 6 matchups, most notably Patrick Mahomes versus Deshaun Watson. But first, the incredibly talented and thoughtful Seattle Seahawks wide receiver, Tyler Lockett. Tyler,
1: hey, how you doing?
0: Good. How you doing?
1: Doing pretty good. Today's been a good day. I got on Russ's podcast. Uh, talked about the catch a little bit. Talked about the book that my poetry book that's coming out October fifteenth, and then today is my brother's birthday.
0: Well, happy birthday to your brother! And I'm glad. So now you get a double header where you get to talk about your new book on Russell Wilson's podcast, and you get to talk about it on my podcast, which we've been wanting yeah. to get you on to talk about. So the, it's a double whammy, Tyler.
1: Yeah, well, I appreciate you for allowing me to be able to do this. That's a real huge blessing.
0: Well, it's my, it's my honor. It is my treat. And for those who don't know, since the start of the 2018 season, do you realize that you have more touchdown catches than Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, and Keenan Allen?
1: I do not. Not until you just said that. Well,
0: that right there tells you how productive you have been, and you referred to your book of poetry, and for those who don't know, you have a book of poetry called Reflections that goes on sale October 15th. It'll be on Amazon.com, and basically, I think you've described this, Tyler, as a self-help book and something really that you've worked on since you were in high school when you started writing poetry back in the day. What Compelled you to write this book called Reflections?
1: Well, the reason why I think I decided to call it Reflection was because, in the type of world that we live in today, it's hard for us to be able to see who we are as a person. And for me, it was easy for me to know who I was when I was growing up because it wasn't clouded by a whole bunch of stuff in today's world. But now I got to a place where I made it to the NFL and there's way more noise than there's ever been in my whole entire life. And sometimes you get caught up in the NFL business. You get caught up in what the critics say and how they feel about you. You get caught up in your play. You know, sometimes the NFL business makes you insecure. There's a lot of things that come with it. You know, the women, the power, the fame, the lifestyle. You feel like you got to keep up. You have people asking you for money all the time and they're trying to take advantage of you. And, Sometimes you just question a whole bunch of stuff to where when you look in the mirror, it's hard to really see who you are as a person. Because when you feel like you're growing, you feel like you're taking advantage of other people, though it's them taking advantage of you. And so in my book, it talks about all the things that have been clouding my judgment in different poems. And it talks about other experiences as well. I have, like, poems that talk about privilege um, inspirational ones that talk about how bad do you want it or or fly high because life is about perspective. If you stay on the ground, everything looks big, but the higher you fly up in the air, you see everything for what it is, and it's beautiful. And so it, it touches about a lot of stuff. I have a friend that talked about committing suicide, so in my poem, it's called Turn Off the Lights because in order to understand what somebody is feeling, you have to be able to turn all the lights off so you can see what what it's like being in the dark because that's where they're at right now in their life. But at the end of the poem, it talks about turning on the lights so that they could be able to see why their life is so important. And so not only is there poetry in there, but there's also note the selves. So, in my, in my stuff, after I do poems, I talk about note to self. So, say, with my friend who thought about committing suicide, it says note to self to remind myself life isn't always about glitz and glamors. Sometimes there's going to be good days. Sometimes there's going to be bad days, but you have to find a reason to live every single day because if you find a reason to live, you're going to find life and you're going to find meaning in everything that you do. But if you allow life to pass you by and you keep looking at what you don't have, you're going to put yourself into a dark place where you get anxiety, you get depression, and you have to be able to find a reason in everything that you do and to love your life because if you compare then you're gonna be in that same position, in that same mindset, and so it's allowing myself to remind myself that. So I know that, and then I have workshops after the, on some of the poems, just to be able to say like, how bad do you really want it? What's stopping you from reaching your full potential? What is it? that you need to let go of in order for you to be great in your own life. So in other poems, it's a lot of workshops and stuff, but it's a really good self-help book that allows you to realize, like, what's clouding up your judgment of being able to see yourself for who you are.
0: What did you learn about yourself while writing this book, Tyler? And again, I want to point out, like I said, that you started writing poetry as a senior at Booker T. Washington High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 2010. So that's really almost a decade of writing poetry. What have you learned about yourself during that time?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the things that I learned about myself is a lot of, a lot of ways I take a lot of stuff too serious. And when I take stuff too serious it causes a lot of anxiety and it allows me it puts me into a place where i try to be super perfect and so for me i've learned how to let go and i've learned that there was a lot of different ways that i used to cope with problems that was healthy to me back then but it's unhealthy to me now and so now it's being able to unravel those things and being able to learn how to be the person that i could become so like saying one of my poems um, i really like this poem a lot Um, one of the things that i say To myself is you ain't got to be in a prison to know that you're in a prison, ignoring your intuitions to follow this fake image of yourself that you created, even though you just made it. Can you really say that you be in yourself? I know that you got wealth and you found a little help, but you still care about people's opinions more than yourself. And that ain't really right. Plus, I know that you're the type that like to bottle up every emotion you feel inside. And so it's like just talking about those different types of things and being able to put it into a way of poetry to where it kind of flows and it rhymes. And, you know, it's different than people just standing up there and talking about it. It allows them to be able to feel something that they really feel.
0: You know, I write a journal. I keep a journal. I've kept a journal every day of my life since
1: 1990, Tyler. When do you find the time to write poems, Uh, Honestly, like poetry just comes to me like I it's crazy. I think a lot of times poetry comes to me through conversation. Uh, That's one of the things that I'm truly learning. And it's a way for me to be creative. So like there's some poems that I've been working on. Um, I'm actually working on another book right now that I'll probably do down the road maybe next year or so, depending on how this goes. But it's called Therapy. And it's going to piggyback right off of this book called Reflection because after I labeled all these things that have clouded up my judgment, the next key is to be able to do therapy with your thoughts, to be able to change the way that you think and understand why you think like that and what happened back in the day to think like that. And so I think for me, it's a cool way because when I have conversations with people and I learn about people, it allows me to be able to come up and tell different types of stories in my poetry that doesn't just reflect in my life, but it reflects in other people's lives as well.
0: Where did you get the idea to do that book called Therapy? Where did that come from?
1: Uh, Well, I think for me, like I was in a dark place last year mentally, and it was just because of some of the traumas that I had dealt with and it was a very scary place for me. And I had the best season of my life last year at the worst time of my life. And it allowed me to be able to learn myself and learn how to work with um, some of the thoughts and stuff that I was dealing with. So like one of the key, one of the poems that I've been working on and I think is really, really cool is, you know, it's, it's like me having a therapy session with myself, but also with like somebody that's a therapist. And I just say, you know, cool little things like life is so much better when people's there for me. It's therapy. It helps me open up before I allow my thoughts to bury me. Unconditional love is the very thing that I like carry me. And every time I fall short, I thank God he's there to carry me. But lately I've been having so much weight on my shoulders, which makes me wonder how much can God carry as I get older. Because the thoughts I think about can get scary. When I think about the things I've done, I realize that they're no longer buried because I bring it back to date and I'm stressed now. And I'm realizing that this is my biggest test now. And when I open up, I see that I'm a mess now. So how is it that I'm going to show the world my best now? And so even through all of that, it's kind of like these are the things that a lot of us go through. And, like, for me, I was talking about it. And I really like the poem a lot because even, you know, I I didn't want to keep going into it because I didn't know if you wanted to hear more. It's great. Honestly, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, even after I said that, You know i was kind of like can you help me doc before i start to break down i got people depending on me i can't let down plus i'm a virgin and i'm yearning i want sex now but if i do it then i know i have regrets now is it hot in here because i'm starting to sweat now i feel sensations in my body as i check now she told me tyler try to focus on your breath now but i see what i don't have and i'm depressed now i need money in my life i want checks now because if i got it by my side i could flex now but if I don't, life just gets way too complex now. I said, Doc, can you start to see why I'm so pressed now? The more I want, the more I feel that I have less now. And this life is looking like a game of chess now because every move I make, I fear that it's the wrong move. The only way I win is I play by my own rules. So, like, that's something that I'm working on right now for my therapy book. But before I could get to therapy and understanding why I do what I do, and why I was feeling what I was feeling, and having anxiety and those depressions and stuff, I had to be able to to be able to be honest with myself and reveal all these things in my life that's going on, that's not allowing me to look at myself in the mirror and to be happy with the person that I see and be happy with what was going on in my life. And now that I'm finally being able to do that. I can finally work on therapy as I'm going through therapy. Well, a few things.
0: First of all, when therapy comes out, you're coming back on the podcast, and we'll be happy to promote that book. Number two, oh, appreciate it. number two. Wh- wh- why was last year the worst time of your life? You said worst time of your life.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was. I think I would say it was the worst time of my life, and I'm still getting it together. But uh, you know, I was having panic attacks and stuff, and I never really knew what that was, and you know, I didn't know anything about it. Nobody ever talked about it. And so the way it happened, I really thought that I was on the verge of dying. And then, you know, I went to the hospital and they told me they thought I had a heart attack or well, they was telling me I had a heart attack because, you know, when I came out in a the combine, they told me my aorta was on the right side, which is very uncommon, it's very rare. And so they didn't know that. So they were telling me all this stuff and making it even worse to where I kind of had bad traumas of the whole entire situation, and it messed with my mind a whole lot. And then that's when you started hearing Kevin Love talking, and then that's when you started hearing DeMar DeRozan talking down the road, you know, after all this stuff had happened to me. But I realized that in my life, this is where God needed me to be at because I could be able to use poetry as a creative way to help people go through it. And so I knew it wasn't for me to just deal with, because I've always known that the stuff that I go through is for other people. And when I started going through it, I realized how many people started talking to me about their own stuff. Where I knew that I was strong enough to get out of it and so even though I was in that dark place that was the best time of my life because I realized that you can't prepare yourself for what it is that God has for you sometimes he takes you to a place so you can be able to see how other people feel because he knows that you're the person that can make it out and not only make it out, but to be able to make a huge difference and inspire other people that are still in it to be able to come out of it as well. Tyler,
0: listen, I could talk to you all day, and I know you have only a few minutes left because you've got other commitments to make today, so I'm going to be very quick on a couple of things here right now. Could you not be the spokesman for mental health with the NFL?
1: Is that something that you'd want to do or aspire to do? Uh, I mean, for me, I don't want to have put too much on my plate, yeah. but, you know, I think that this is the start of doing my book, and I think that for me, I want to kind of do it in a way of poetry. I think it's, um, I've been working with Mike Gervais, one of the guys that are here with the Seahawks, and we've been talking a lot, and I'm going to get the chance to be able to do his podcast as well, but I think that mental health is a, a interesting thing, and I think the way that God is allowing me to find ways to do therapy with it in poetry and to be able to talk about it in other poems especially like my poems within reflection. I think it's really cool because it gives people a different perspective. It allows them to be able to see things the way that they didn't normally see it and allows you to feel a different type of sense that you never felt before. And so I'm really looking forward into um, what God is doing in my life and where he's going to take me with this. I always wanted to do poetry. I wanted to perform. I wanted to add music with my poetry, but I never really th- saw how all of that was going to take place and who who would have thought that I'd be in this position in football, being able to have the season that I'm having, especially after last year coming back from a broken leg when everybody thought I lost it. It's like I look back and I see how everything had to happen the way that it happened and because it did, I'm I'm exactly where I need to be and I'm stronger mentally. And this is the year that I've been facing all of my triggers that I was fearful from last year and I've overcame them. And for that, I learned that we all create monsters in our head. Like I had grit, you know, I still have it, but I realized that I've always betted on myself and there was nothing in this life that could defeat me except myself. And I created the monster that could defeat me. So in that time last year, my strengths that I always depended on became my weaknesses and my weaknesses I had to depend on more than my strengths. And I talked about that in reflection. And people who don't understand what people are dealing with mentally don't know how to help. And because they don't know how to help, they'd be like, come on, man, you got to get out of that. You got people looking up to you. And they don't realize that you have to walk somebody out of that maze that they're trapped in inside of their head. And once you're able to walk somebody out of that maze, then everything is going great for them again but i just think it's an honor just to be able to have gone through that because now i can explain it in a way that's hard to be able to explain it speaking on stage or face to face i can explain it through poetry where i get every single feeling right yeah tyler
0: before i let you go one last question you mentioned one of those poems and forgive me for asking that you're a virgin you're 27 years old and you are a virgin is that accurate
1: Yeah, I'm waiting until I get married. That's something that I wanted to be able to do, and, you know, that's something that I'm staying true to and committed to. And is that hard in your world, in your locker room, all these women around? I'm
0: sure they're throwing themselves at a wide receiver who's got more touchdown catches the last couple of years than Julio or Michael Thomas, Keenan. Is that a difficult thing to do to avoid that temptation?
1: Uh, I mean, it has its pros and cons. Like, some, some days it gets harder. Um, other days it's easy just because, I, you know, I try to stay away from that temptation. But, you know, I have a girlfriend, and so she understands what I'm about. And, you know, she loves God as well, and she, she's cool with being able to wait until marriage. And so for me, as long as somebody understands what they're getting themselves into and they respect it, then that's what really matters. And I think that this is a healthier way for me to be able to go about that. Just because, you know, I listen to my friends and stuff and they tell me they wish they didn't do it and even though it's an enjoyable feeling, you know, they tell me that it's worth the wait. You know, you don't it's just a a pleasure type of feeling and then you want it more and more. So for me, like I just I feel like that's something that I've always wanted to do and it's something that I choose that to be special to me and so, uh, I have no problem like talking about it or opening up about it because this is a choice that I decided to make and I'm sticking to it
0: Tyler much respect I I appreciate you taking the time today sharing your thoughts your feelings your candor I wish you the very best with the book of poetry this one and the next one that's coming out and a reminder for all those people out there Tyler Lockett has a new book called Reflections of His Poetry it goes on sale October 15th It'll be available at bookstores uh, in the Pacific Northwest, I assume, as well as Amazon.com. We look forward to reflections, and we look forward to therapy, and we look forward to you coming back on the podcast again, Tyler, to talk about the next book that does come
1: out. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you for taking the time to, to talk with me and to be able to help out with the book, and I'm excited to see what happens and how people feel about it.
0: Thank you, Tyler. Continued success to you in everything in life.
1: All right. Thank you. You as well.
0: Now bringing in my friend, my colleague, the former head coach of the Buffalo Bills, the New York Jets, the great defensive coordinator as well, Rex Ryan. And Rex, this week the Washington Redskins made some news. They fired their head coach, Jay Gruden, who became the first head coach this season to be let go. So my question to you, what is it like for a head coach to lose his job?
2: Yeah, I, I think, Adam, it's brutal. It really is. Uh you know, one of the toughest things I've ever had to go through. Um, and everybody says, hey, there's the old adage, you know, there's two kind of coaches, those that have been fired, those that are going to be fired. But it doesn't make it easier, I can promise you. Um, I think the biggest thing is, uh, like, it's devastating almost. It, it, I mean, to me, that's how I took it. Um, you know, and not just because, look, is it a blow to your ego? Absolutely. It's a blow to your ego. But there's way more things involved. Um, you know, you got to uproot your families. I, I think that's a, a huge part of it. And if you're a head coach, it's not just your families that uh, that you feel for. You feel for all your assistant coaches and and their families as well. So the burden becomes, uh, you know, a heavier deal for you as, as a head coach. And and certainly that's how I felt about it when when I was let go in in New York and in Buffalo.
0: Which one stands out to you more? Which one dug at your gut more and ate you up, Buffalo or New York?
2: Well, I mean, they're both that way. I, I think you know the Buffalo one. We I'd only been there for two years, and it, it never felt like a. Um, it never. I, I never felt that the entire building or organization or whatever. I never felt truly embraced, um, and maybe there were different agendas or, or things heading in different directions. Um, you know, I love the owner, Terry Pagula, and and, uh, and his wife, Kim. I, I thought Terry was outstanding, a, a tremendous person. Um, and, look, he wanted to win. And, and, unfortunately, we were 500. We were we were hovering at 500. I felt our team was really there. It, you know, it was a 500 team. I, I never thought it was, you know, we hadn't had the opportunity to build it into anything better than that. I, that's kind of how I felt. I never felt the buy-in from the players either as much as I had felt uh, as as the buy-in from the players with the Jets. So the Jets was harder for me just because um, I love the fan base. We were really dug in in the community. Uh lived in Summit, New Jersey. And then the players, I never had a player that never gave everything they had. Hmm. And, and so that, I felt like sometimes when we never got it, never got it done, I, I took it, you know, it was a blow to me because I knew the effort my players had put in, my coaches, and so forth. So that was that was a big blow. You know, Woody Johnson had no choice but to fire me. We had only won four games my last year. And, you know, but listen, I, I was attached to his family, you know, as well. Um, but I knew that one. I, I kind of expected it. He had no choice. Uh, so I expected that one. The Bills, it wasn't a shock. I mean, it seemed like they wanted me out of there from jump, and uh, you know, and eventually that's what that's what happened.
0: You said they wanted you out of there from jump, and that you never felt "quote unquote" truly embraced. What does that mean? How do, how does a head coach not feel truly embraced by a community, a team, an well, organization? and well,
2: and I certainly don't mean ownership yeah. uh, at all. But it just it's just a feel that you get, and you know, there whether it was. You know, people in the building or what? It just, it just never felt like a team. Like everybody wanted to jump on board and and fully felt behind you. I never felt that. And and I'm just being being real. Um, you know, but again, that wasn't. You know, I I felt you know the commitment from from uh, certain people. I felt we were trying to. Uh, you know, I just thought I needed a little more time to get that going, but. You know what? At the end of the day, that's the way you're always going to feel. If, if you truly believe in yourself as a coach, and then that's how you're going to feel it. Uh, but, you know, I think, Adam, that's uh, that's the way it is. And, and hey, listen, I was, I've was i been blessed, you know, uh, to get an opportunity to be a head coach in the NFL. I realize that that doesn't happen to, uh, for everybody. And there's a lot of great coaches um, in the profession that had never that was never given the opportunity that I was. So I felt fortunate and blessed to get those, those opportunities. And, and uh, you know, hey, if it never happens again, which it obviously doesn't look like it will, at least I had an opportunity, and, uh, and I'm certainly grateful for that. Now you bring up the fact that
0: it impacts other families and other people on the staff. Your brother, Rob Ryan, is an assistant coach with the Redskins. I believe he coaches the linebackers. Have you spoken to him, and what has been his reaction to what's gone on in Washington, Rex?
2: You know what? All you can do is do the best job you can, and I can promise you he is, and there's a guy, a real football coach, that's truly committed to the profession, and nobody's outworked him. I can promise you he's the first one there and the last one to leave, and that's the way he's been at every single place he's ever been, So, and that's the way he'll continue to be, um, so... That that's that's the job. I have not spoke to him since uh, since Jay was let go of his job. I know he thought a great deal of him, Um, but you know he loves his players and he's just going to do the best job that he can do. and And that's what you do as as an assistant coach.
0: Now there have been a lot of talk in Washington about Jay Gruden being let go for some time now. And I think there was speculation with your jobs in New York and Buffalo, when that comes as much of a blow as it is to your ego, your pride, your esteem—all those things—is there any relief that comes along with
2: being let go? Because it's such a pressurized job. Not for me. <laughs> and, and I guess, uh, and I guess for me, look, I I was a football lifer, and and look, I had other opportunities. I knew I'd had some opportunities in the media, or, uh, different networks, or whatever. But that never you know, to me, I wanted to be a great coach. I wanted to win. And I think part of the reason it hurts is when you put everything into it yeah. and let's face it, you know, I was, I was the coach that was a real coach that would, that would work, you know, and, you know, wasn't just, you know, checking out when practice was over. I, I was there, uh, even as an assistant coach, shoot, I might not be home until Friday. I, I you know, and, and that's what it is. An NFL coach, you a lot. You, you miss your family. You miss all that time. You're making a lot of money, but you pay for it, mm-hmm. and and that's part of it. The, you know, it's tough on families, and you know where I. You know, you'd see them. Maybe you'd see your wife and kids on Fridays uh, after you know after practice or whatever. But on on maybe a little on Saturday if you had a home game. Uh, and maybe even after the game on Sunday, but if it's a road game, you might not even see your family and, and maybe once, and that was Friday evening, and and so that was that was it. But I put everything I had. That's the thing about me. I have no regret. You know, do I wish things were different? Of course, but I have no regrets, and, and that's simple. You know, the simple truth is, I put everything I had into it, and if it wasn't good enough, then then that's the way it was going to be, and I can accept it because I did put. Everything I had in it, and I did try my best at all times, and so, and I asked my players to do the same. And for the most part, I had it. I can't say I had a hundred percent of the same commitment that I had with my players with the Jets uh, that I had in Buffalo. I certainly had it from most of the players, but probably not all the players. I don't think they were all behind me, and uh, you know, but that's okay. I remember them too, and I remember those guys, and and you know, so but that's the way it goes. But either way, uh, you know, like I say, I think the big thing is it's hard to get these jobs and it hurts like hell when you lose them. So I don't think there's ever a sense of relief if you, get, uh, if you lose your job.
0: Do you believe you'll ever coach again in any capacity, Rex? Forget about being a head coach. Any capacity. Is Rex Ryan going to coach again? Am I going to be badgering you when you're on some team saying,
2: you know, what, what do we think this week? Well, I'll never say never. Uh, I like doing what I'm doing right now. I, I like the team that I'm with, and I'm excited about it. Uh, you know, I haven't lost a game in over two years, so I feel pretty good about that. <laughs> um but I, I'll never say that, and and you know it's it would have to be a great situation for me to be a coordinator. I can I can assure you of that. I don't have anything else to prove. Would I attack it? Yeah, but that doesn't that really doesn't interest me right now. Uh, I'm not saying it won't happen. Um, and then being a head coach, look for some reason it doesn't look like ownership has my number. <laughs> you know, nobody has my my number, so I don't anticipate that happening. Um, you know. Will, will I close the door on coaching? Absolutely not. What's better, your
0: broadcast team or your fantasy
2: football team? Definitely the broadcast team. My <laughs> fantasy squad. I'm the guy that took Antonio Brown in the second round, late in the second round. And you know what? I, I I just I have nothing for that guy. He, he destroyed you know my football team, and and I I don't I don't like the guy. <laughs> you don't like him, huh? don't like him at all. How come? Well, man, I'm not there, man. He's not on my team. He, he let my whole team down, let alone the Patriots, let alone the Raiders, <laughs> the Steelers, whoever the other team he tried to, you know, destroy. He certainly destroyed my fantasy team. You know, it's funny
0: about that. I remember we were in a production meeting this summer talking about all the drama going on with him, and you said as a coach... This is a guy that you could handle, that you would want on your team, so much so that you went ahead and used a second-round draft pick in the Fancy Football League on him.
2: Yeah, I thought I could make a difference, and he destroyed me as well. He got Tomlin, he got Grood, he got Belichick, and now he just he pooped all over me.
1: <laughs> hey,
0: Rex, I appreciate taking some time. We'll look forward to seeing you Sunday, and I know your team this Sunday will perform better than the ball-busting team that you have in the War Room League. all right Adam take care (laughs) thanks for the time today Rex
2: all right light
0: out there is the ESPN analyst the former head coach of the Buffalo Bills at New York Jets Rex Ryan and before we get to the ESPN analytics guru Evan Kaplan first a word from Vivid Seats we all love a night out whether it's seeing our favorite band in person or being there in the crowd to cheer on our favorite team with the Vivid Seats rewards loyalty program you can attend the concert or show of your choice and earn credit towards your next live event Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice, all in the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. All you need to do is use the Vivid Seats app to purchase tickets and start earning today. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program today. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. And if you enter the promo code ESPN25, you'll get 10% off your next order. That's promo code ESPN 25.
2: Cap hit.
0: Back for another week of insight and analysis with our colleague, our friend, Evan Kaplan, the ESPN analytics guru. Evan, welcome back for week six.
3: Thanks, Adam. We are we are moving along through this season.
0: Huh? Yeah, It's amazing. The, the season seems to pick up steam as it always does. And I always find, I don't know if this is true with you, but once you get to about Thanksgiving time, that last five, six weeks of the season, that really flies. But yep. this seems to have gone especially fast so far as well. Yeah, I think we've had a lot
3: of stories from the Antonio Brown saga to kind of everything else with the backup quarterbacks. There's been a lot of um there's been a lot of themes to this season in addition to to some of the great games we've seen.
0: And there have been some stable, consistent storylines like the success of Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. who square off on Sunday, a matchup of two quarterbacks from the very same draft class. Yep. What do you make of that matchup, Evan?
3: Well, this is the first time they're going to match up Uh, as starting quarterbacks, you mentioned the same draft class, and that is the obvious comparison. But there are some other interesting ones that I was able to dig up uh, going back to when they were born. Three days apart in 1995, Deshaun Watson was born on September 14th, Patrick Mahomes September 17th. Fast forward to college, they had the exact same number of completions and touchdown passes their final college season, 388 completions, 41 touchdown passes. You think about both teams' or both players, excuse me, were picked by teams who traded up on draft night. Talk about the Texans and Watson, the Chiefs and Mahomes. Um, they look at, both made their first Pro Bowl last season. This is another just weird coincidence, like the college one. In the 2019 Pro Bowl, both had seven completions. Both threw one touchdown. And now as they enter this matchup, both have 17 career regular season wins. They have 11 touchdown passes this season. It's just kind of interesting. They, they've known each other since they were kind of coming out of high school, entering college. And uh, they've certainly flashed on the field. And sometimes you're just able to kind of dig up those comparisons w- when you're going into a matchup.
0: One other comparison that you missed. Mm-hmm. What do you got? The two best young quarterbacks in the game.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Right? I mean, are there any others that you could see taking ahead of them if you were starting your franchise today?
3: I, I don't think so. No. I mean, uh, look, you... you Look at the 2006. Uh, it depends how far back you're going, right? If you're going from 2017 forward, no, you could make an argument for Carson Wentz maybe in the 2016 draft class. But over the previous three years, uh, nobody like them. They, and the thing about them, when you're watching, and anyone can pick this up, they extend the play so much. Especially Watson, who's dealt with a suspect offensive line. His ability to keep plays alive, find his receivers like he did with Will Fuller last week, really
0: sets him apart. Two other good young quarterbacks in the game, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, both leading their teams uh, to potential playoff marches this season. And they square off on Sunday. First matchup between Jimmy Garoppolo Mm -hmm. and the unbeaten 49ers and the Los Angeles Rams coming off a Thursday night loss to the Seattle Seahawks. What do we make of that NFC West showdown?
3: Well, look, yeah, like you said, Adam, their first matchup against each other as starting quarterbacks, they've played the other team, but there was a time in the week 17 where the Rams were sitting people and, and all that. But you look at this is really the first time since Sean McVay got to the Rams and Kyle Shanahan got to the 49ers that both teams are playing well at the same time. You've got the 4-0 49ers, the 3-2 and Rams, who, as you mentioned, had a tough loss. And in the week where we had our first head coach let go in the league this year. You you point to this game and it's it's just odd that these two coaches will match up who were on the Redskins staff in two thousand thirteen. Sean McVeigh and Kyle. Kyle Shanahan,
0: Shanahan yep. same Washington Redskins staff along with Matt LaFleur, the mm-hmm. Packers head coach. So yeah. there's some coaching talent there in Washington. Sure,
3: right. And just the optics of it. The fact that it's it will happen. They'll they'll face off in Los Angeles on Sunday, less than a week after the Redskins made that coaching change, and they had those two in the organization. And you talk about this division, and look, for my opinion, you take out the Cardinals, but this is maybe the best division in, in football right now. You can make an argument for the NFC North, yeah. certainly. Certainly. But you look at these three teams, I don't know if there's one division where you've had three teams play as well so far as the 49ers, the Seahawks, and even though with some inconsistency, the Rams.
0: Three really good teams right there, and you bring up the Seahawks. What is your sense in terms of Russell Wilson playing like an MVP right now?
3: Well, look, first of all, it's not just this year. Let's go back to um, the the previous three years since the start of 2017. He's thrown 81 touchdown passes. That's by far the most in the NFL. Wow. So we continue to overlook Russell Wilson, maybe because it's where he plays. Um, They haven't made deep playoff runs the last few years. But this five-game stretch he started the season with is is one of the best for any quarterback in NFL history. He's completed at least 70% of his passes, 1,400 yards, 12 touchdowns, no interceptions. You put all those numbers together, there's only been four other times in NFL history that a quarterback has attained those marks within a five-game span. Russell Wilson was one of the other five. So you look at Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and Matt Ryan are the other three on that list, and he is playing some great football as they head to Cleveland this week uh, to face the Browns.
0: Russell Wilson doing an unbelievable job this year. Can't argue with that, and obviously he'll be in the thick of the MVP race. Now, a young quarterback who is struggling some Mm -hmm. and been a little bit inconsistent is Baker Mayfield. What seems to be the issue with him and Odell Beckham missing the mark?
3: Well, you look at them over the last two games, and certainly they won one of those games um, in Baltimore, but they they just haven't been able to connect. Um, They're completing on about 30% of passes over the last two games, four out of 13, which is certainly not what the Browns expected when they got back. And one of the trends that has developed with Baker Mayfield this season is holding on to the football. Hmm. And offensive line play has a lot to do with that, but you look at his game, and Steve Young did a great tape on this on Monday Night Countdown. In week five, when he gets rid of the ball and gets rid and gets the ball into the hands of Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham and his playmakers, he's had a lot more success. He held on to it again on Monday night against the 49ers over three, nearly three and a half seconds, his average time to throw. And you look at that as one of the keys. But let's let's always as. Look at him. You know how much of a week to week league this is. We, yeah. we, we thought the Browns were definitely winning the AFC North. Back. After week back. four, they, were, they back. were back. They were two and two. Now they're not. Now they're not. But let's keep this in mind when you look at that division. The Ravens are in first place right now. The Browns have a win over the Ravens already. The Steelers and Bengals are a combined one and nine. And if you take a look at the Browns' finishing schedule, their final seven games, they don't play a single team with a winning record currently. That includes two games against the Steelers. Two against the Bengals, they play the Dolphins, and they play the Cardinals in that tre- stretch with a game mixed in. One one team with a winning record, excuse, excuse me, against the Ravens. So, look, it's a week-to-week league. They didn't look great on Monday. Nobody will deny that, but they're only one game back in the AFC North.
0: The schedule does set up very well for Cleveland it to does. make a late season run, but there are issues for that team to clean mm-hmm. up. They're inconsistent on offense. Uh, they're good on defense, but th- th- they're loaded with talent. But they, are. they don't always play up to it. And Monday night was a prime example going up against a 49er team that felt like it was just much more physical and much more emotional and much more yep. talent. It just felt better. They, they, did yeah,
3: play. they they felt ready to play that game. And, and you look at the immediate schedule for the Browns, home against the Seahawks, as we've talked about, then a bye, then at the Patriots. So it, it it's tough right now, and then it lets up a little bit down the stretch.
0: Well, Evan, we appreciate the insights into Week 5. We'll see you in Green Bay for Monday Night Football. Packers, Lions, and historic Green Bay. Should be a great Monday Night matchup that I think a lot of people don't realize how well the Lions have been playing as well, by the
3: way. Yeah, I agree. Very much looking forward to it, Adam.
0: Thanks for the insight this week, Evan. All right. There's the ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan, sizing up Week 6. And boy, that matchup between Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes looks awfully good. Intriguing. want to thank Evan Kaplan for his time and insights today. want to thank the Seahawks' great young wide receiver Tyler Lockett, whose first collection of his poetry called Reflections officially goes on sale on October 15th and will be available at bookstores throughout the Seattle area as well as Amazon.com. And special thanks to my friend and colleague Rex Ryan for sharing what it's like for a head coach to be fired in the first week in which the NFL has let go of one of its head coaches during the 2019 season. And a special thanks to you, the listener, for tuning into this Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week as we look back on week six and start to look ahead to week seven. Until then, have a great week, everybody.